Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. Welcome and thank you for tuning in today. Today we're continuing in our Beauty of Grace series, and we're going to be looking at the next lesson considering the topic of the charisma of grace. We've looked at many different things, all the way from understanding why we need grace in the beginning, that it was because of our debt of sin that had separated us from God eternally, and we needed a Savior. We needed grace. We were not deserving of this great gift, but we needed grace, and the cost was the blood of Jesus Christ, which he paid willingly and obediently because of the heart of God that loved us. We looked at how grace changes us, how grace, we looked at how grace calls us to come and invites us to believe in Jesus. And then we are born again of the Spirit of God, placed in a new relationship in this new covenant as a child of God, able to cry, Abba, Father. We looked at how grace works in our lives and the victories that it has won and afforded to us. We looked at how it makes us changed and makes us brand new. We looked at how God has a compass of grace through the Holy Spirit as our GPS to guide us through life. We looked at how grace brings us into freedom and teaches us how to live godly in our life today. We looked at the craftsmanship and the choosing of grace in that we've each and every one been crafted and created for good works that God the Father has created and crafted in us as the potter, making us into the vessel that he wants us to be. And then in the last episode, we talked about the conferring of grace and how each follower of Jesus is given at least one gift, and some may have more than one. All are to be used to minister and they are conferred by the Lord through the agent of grace, the Holy Spirit. They're all to be used for the glory of God and to bring to pass the work that he wants us to do, those good works he's created us in Christ to perform. Today we consider the charisma, or you might say the charismata in plural, of grace, the actual gifts themselves, and discuss what these are as they are mentioned in the scriptures. Charisma means a free gift or a free favor, a benefit that is unearned. It is divinely conferred upon us as an endowment, conferred upon us freely, endowing us with what we need to use it effectively. It speaks of an effective ministry tool or gifting that enabling power and equipping for the operation of that specific ministry function. It's chosen and conferred to us by the potter through the Holy Spirit of the living God. It's free favor that's bestowed in a special way apart from any merit of our own. I want to begin today's message reading a passage that I read to us in an earlier episode, and I just want to remind us of it. In First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 13 and 14, David is praying here, and he says these words, 
Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. In other words, he's saying, God, you gave it to us to begin with and it's yours already. We're just offering it back to you in service. And who are we? He's looking at God humbly and saying, God, I'm a nobody. Yet you've chosen to use me, yet you've chosen to give us these things. And so it's of your own that we are just offering them back to you in your service. The Bible lists several different gifts, and we will cover these in this lesson. But be reminded that they come from the Lord, and we're offering them back to him in service, and he gets the glory. Primarily, these gifts are outlined and individualized in three main chapters in the New Testament. Those chapters are Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is more of an explanatory chapter about certain gifts and pursuits. And there's an interesting chapter between 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. We call it the love chapter. And it's very interesting when we look at the connection and how it does connect the two together. And we can look at that hopefully in a later episode. The gifts are also summarized by Peter into two broad categories. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, we read this earlier in some episodes and some lessons earlier. Peter summarizes these primarily in two general categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Let's talk about these various gifts that Paul breaks down individually from Peter's general categorization of the two. Paul gets more specific in his writing because God wants us to understand the various gifts because each and every one of us have been given at least one. So Paul and Peter are working together here to give us understanding about those. And Peter simply is summarizing saying, if you've got one of the speaking gifts, then you do it as if God were speaking through you. And if you've got one of the serving gifts, do it for all your might to the glory of God. So now we have a solid foundation for the purpose of those gifts. We've looked at that and covered that in these prior episodes, that they are chosen and conferred by the Lord for his service to edify and build up his church as a whole by each person doing their own part and each one helping the whole of the body. Collectively, we are one body, but each is likened to an individual organ or function within that one body. And we looked at that in a prior episode when we talked about how Paul specifically gets us that. And he said, not everybody is an eye. If everybody was an eye, then how would we hear? How would we walk? 
there's a need for all of the individual parts and functions within the body, but it's still one body. So in light of this, let's understand a few basic principles as we get started here, and then we will go directly into the actual gifts in our discussion today, and we'll go through them fairly quickly, but I will try to make some points about each one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 7, it says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So these are for everyone to be profited, benefited, edified when they're used in the service of the Lord. Verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Then let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I want to read verse 40, the very last verse. Let all things be done decently and in order. And then I want us to look lastly, before we get started into the gifts, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Then he goes on in verse 6. I'm just going to read the first part. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Then he begins to go on. So now we see general principles and guidelines here for the operation of all the various gifts given to us in these verses. Now, going through Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and 1 Peter 4. Let's look at the gifts that are mentioned and some how-tos about them. Peter gives us the general categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Paul begins to specify them. And we look at, say, for instance, the speaking gifts. One of those is prophecy. This is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, 1 Timothy 1, 18. Now, in the scriptures, this can be foretelling of events that are to occur, 
but it also is forth-telling. It is really speaking of divine inspiration in the teaching and revelation of the truth of God's Word and the purposes of God as revealed in Scripture. In those days, they were writing Scripture, and we are told by both Peter and Paul that the words of Scripture are verbally inspired by God. They are divine inspiration of God that were moved upon by the Holy Spirit of God to these authors who then penned the words of God himself. So now the gift of prophecy today is divinely inspired teaching and revealing of understanding of the truth that is found in God's word. It includes revealing the mysteries of God. Now, when we say mysteries of God, we're not talking about some hidden, wild, new thing that is some new code or this or that or the other. What we're talking about is what has been in the scriptures the whole time, but has not yet been revealed to the general Reader has not yet been revealed by the Holy Spirit of God. For instance, when you come to the New Testament, Paul calls the gospel and the fact that Gentiles were also to be included as God's people through faith in Jesus Christ, he calls that a mystery. He's not saying it wasn't there. I'm going to be doing, Lord willing, a short series on the church in the Old Testament because it is there, but it's hidden in little spots here and there. It was not fully understood. It's still been there the whole time, but it hasn't been understood until the days of the New Testament. And Paul begins to get the understanding of the mystery of the good news of the gospel for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. And he begins to expound on that in the New Testament. So this word for mystery in the New Testament is speaking of something that's been there all along, but has been hidden from view, hidden from clear understanding. It's like something that may be behind a curtain or a veil, and you pull back the curtain, and now you begin to see clearly what's been there all along. In the scriptures, it did include the divine revelation of coming people or events that God inspired them to write and was revealed to them directly. And we know that all scripture is God-breathed, given by the very breath and inspiration of the Lord himself. But the revelation of God in the scriptures is now completed. God has revealed everything we need to know as a matter of fact, one of the things that God had Peter to write was that all things that pertain to life and godliness in this life, we have now received. God has revealed them. God has given them. There is no new revelation today that takes the place of Scripture or that bears the same level of the authority of the Holy Scriptures. Please, please hear me. That is very important. There is a movement today where they are trying to deceive people to think that there is some new 
apostolic authority, some new level of spiritual authority that is either as authoritative or more than the Holy Scriptures themselves. That is a lie. It is not truth. It is error. God has given us the entirety of all that we need in the Holy Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, and they are the final authority, period. Today, more revelation is coming merely to understand and expound the scriptures that God has already laid out for us, especially in terms of understanding the connection between the Old Testament and the New. Don't let anybody tell you we don't need the Old Testament today. You cannot fully understand the New Testament unless you see its connection in the Old, because everything in the Old Testament points to the fulfillment in the new, speaks of coming things in the new, shows us the understanding of Jesus in the new and what he did and how powerful it was. For instance, John the Baptist understood that. John comes on the scene and shortly in his early ministry, once Jesus has come to him and been baptized, and is now beginning his public ministry, John points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why did he call him the Lamb of God? Because of the Old Testament. The Old Testament pattern. The innocent dying for the guilty. The Lamb that was sacrificed in place of the guilty sinner. The Passover Lamb specifically. So we understand it now when we connect them together. God has laid out end-time prophetic events. He's already told us many things about them. And in today, they are beginning to be more understood as we begin to see more and more of the stage being set for those things to be actually fulfilled in a coming day, not long from now. In Daniel chapter 12, Verses 8 through 10, Daniel had been given many revelations about the coming ages, the coming things that would happen all the way up to the end of time. And in Daniel 12, 8 through 10, Daniel wants to understand these things. But Daniel is told, no, you seal them up. You don't worry about it. It's not for you to understand. It's for the people in that day to understand. Then John the apostle comes along. God gives him the actual book of Revelation that shows everything and the entire wrap-up of everything that is yet going to happen. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 10 and 11, John is told, do not seal it up because these things are going to burst on the scene soon and they're going to begin to happen soon. And the people need to understand these things. So we have the complete revelation. Be very careful about people, so-called prophets everywhere today. Don't listen or be deceived by those who are trying to assert that, first of all, they are this office of some prophet or that they are giving revelation that is of the same authority or better than Scripture itself. Watch out. Jesus warned us about the days of deception. Don't listen to them and don't be deceived.
But in the same breath, understand that the gift of prophecy is still for today through those who can have the divine revelation of God's word to understand and apply it and teach it to us today. Pastors, many of them, will also fit into this kind of category, as well as teachers and others. And those who have this gift are to use it according to the proportion or ratio of their faith. The second, teaching. Teaching is the person who can instruct in the doctrine and understanding of God's revealed words in Scripture. They are the ones who will give understanding and revelation of what God has said and what it means and its application to us. They are the ones called by God with the divine task of making disciples. Now, every Christian is called by God to make disciples, but the teacher, that is their primary focus, is to make people become disciples of Jesus Christ through instruction, through teaching them the types, the shadows, the patterns, and through being a role model themselves. Let's look at it like this in a simple example. School. A child goes to school, whether it's in a home, whether it's at at a public facility, whether it's a private school, whatever it may be, and the teacher will bring each student into greater understanding. That's their job. That's their job grade by grade, level by level. They will always start with the basics and they will take the student all the way through, through the entire educational system to other complex understanding of certain subjects and things. For example, in kindergarten and first grade, they're going to learn the numbers and simple addition. One plus two equals three. 2 plus 3 equals 5, etc. But then by the time the child is finished with the whole of the instruction, they may know advanced calculus, ratios and statistics, economics. There are many mathematical things that that child can learn by the time they are mature. So a teacher's job in the kingdom of God is to do the same thing, is to begin to take Christians from wherever they are, even if they are baby Christians. Peter wrote and said, desire the sincere milk of the word. So the teacher's job is to teach people the scriptures, teach them everything they need to know to grow up in Jesus Christ, become mature and able to hear the Lord say to them on that day, well done good and faithful servant. The teacher's job is very similar to prophecy in that the divine revelation and understanding that the teacher imparts to the students has come from God, from the Holy Spirit expounding the scriptures to them as they study and then giving them what they are then to share with others. And the purpose is just like Jesus said, in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, to make disciples. We know that scripture to be what we call the Great Commission, and it is applicable to every Christian, but the making of disciples is the core of the teacher's gift. 
Remember, according to Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey and understand God's word so they too can live it and apply it properly. They are students and pupils in the class of Christianity, and the teacher's job is to help them grow up in that. Third gift, exhortation or exhorting. This means to call near, to invite, to invoke. It's talking about calling for something, inviting to come. It includes comfort, counsel, beseeching a person, entreating them, admonishing one, encouraging, consoling, and cheering them. It can include gentle leading or, as needed, sharper words, rebuke, and admonition if necessary. This could include your people that have the gift of bringing encouragement, maybe counselors, evangelists who go and invite people to come to know Jesus Christ, missionaries, those who encourage and do life with you, consoling and comforting and strengthening you. We might call them the cheerleading squad. It includes those types of ministries. Then there's the word of wisdom, applying God's word to daily life and especially specific circumstances or situations. It's taking the application of God's word into the situations of daily living, skillfully, properly, allowing us and teaching us to live godly and be his true witnesses to others. It's a very broad category, but it is applying God's word in daily living. The word of knowledge is knowing and intelligence specifically in some form of Christian faith or living as well. And the application of that as well. It's very similar to teaching because true understanding comes from the revelation of the spirit of the living God, which will then lead us to properly applying that knowledge in our lives. The gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. The gift of tongues represents an unknown foreign language that you have not learned before, but you now can speak. It's given for use in ministry to the individual who never knew that language before, and it's used to communicate the wonderful works of God, as happened in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. We call it the birthday of the church. I want to read this passage in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I want to read through verse 11. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to notice something here first before we go on and read the remaining verses. The Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that gave them utterance. When you look it up in the Greek, it's speaking of divine pronunciation or enunciation correctly in that language 
being able to articulate within that language. In other words, it's, it's as if these foreign words are no longer foreign, as if you had learned them and you can enunciate them correctly so that the hearer that can understand that language can identify and understand in their own language. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon them on that day of Pentecost. The Spirit gave them those utterances. Now, I don't know Hebrew. I sometimes know, I believe, how to pronounce a few words correctly, but I know that I butcher many of them because I don't know Hebrew many times when I'm referring to the teaching of Scripture. I don't know French. I don't know Japanese. I don't know some of these other languages. But if I had this gift as they had on that day, then I would be able to communicate the wonderful works of God in that language, enunciating it perfectly so that the people understood the message. That's what this is talking about. All right. Now, continuing in the reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says this, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? In other words, these people, unless they've been to school and learned all of these different languages, how in the world are they saying clearly in our language these words? They've never learned them before. They've not been to school and studied all these different languages. How is it that we're hearing in our individual languages what they're saying and understanding them? Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were speaking the wonderful works of God the great things, the magnificence and splendor of God in a language they had never learned before and were enunciating it correctly in that language so that the hearers understood. Now, the question that many wrestle with is our tongues and interpretations still for today? Some say that they are not. There are some that believe that these particular gifts are not for today. However, I believe that yes, all of the gifts that God has given are still in operation today, according to scripture. I want you to see that point. Now that does not mean I am not saying that there are not abuses of some of these gifts that are happening today. 
But I do want you to see what scripture has to say about these gifts and about when they are to end. I want us to look in that same chapter, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. And I want us to read through 41. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So here, Peter says, under the anointing of the Spirit of the living God, that these gifts, this promise of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and empowerment that he brings is for you and your children. In that day, he was talking to them directly and to all who are afar off, which can mean in either distance or in time as well, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, my question is, is the Lord still calling people today? If the Lord is still calling people today, then this scripture still applies to today. It seems very clear here. And I don't mean that in an argumentative way. I'm simply saying, let scripture tell us what it's telling us. We don't need to add to it or twist it around. It means what it says, and it says what it means. God is very good about that. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 8 through 12, it says this, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. But then face to face. When? When the perfect comes, then we see face to face. Now I know in part but then, then I shall know just as I also am known. Then is when the perfect comes, which is the same time that we see face to face, no longer in part as it is now. This speaks of Jesus, the perfect, at his second coming. It also may even include our own death when we will see him face to face. For Paul clearly says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So the scriptures show us that all the gifts are still for today. Even though there may be abuses of some of these, we must be careful not to be deceived, but to recognize that the true gifts 
are still for today. Interpretation of tongues goes along with tongues. It just simply is that ability to understand that foreign language that you've not previously known or understood before and be able to give out an interpretation of it accurately for the audience to understand. The serving gifts or the ministry gifts is Peter's second broad category. Paul specifies several under this. First of all, there is a gift of ministry, simply serving of others, like a waiter or waitress, attending to the needs of others as a waiter or waitress would do. This would include any and all acts of kindness and service in menial and often unseen or unrecognized ways. There's the gift of giving, meaning giving and sharing, bestowing. Financial support and partnering in ministry work is one way that this is done. Also other ways to share by giving of, of things, food, supplies, as well as support is the gift of generosity. And he says to do that with simplicity. In other words, sincere sincerity, singleness of heart, purity of mind, free from pretense or hypocrisy, not self-seeking. There's the gift of ruling and administration, one who presides or stands before another, those who may be established practice policy guidelines for service, administration, and structure, those who might superintend, maintain, and protect, and guard over. He tells them to do those with diligence, with eagerness and earnestness, enthusiasm. Don't be delaying or lallygagging, we may call it. There's also the gift of mercy. Those who have extra mercy, everyone has some of these. We all have. And, and as a situation arises, God can invest and deposit any and all of these gifts to us if we're in a situation where we need them at any time. But what we're talking about in this message is the ones that are specifically really, really given to you as your focus. And there are those that have the gift of mercy as their focus. And so this is talking about those who become and who are very compassionate. It really grieves them to see people hurting or afflicted or sick or poor. And so they just are super motivated to try to aid the poor or the afflicted. They want to relieve the hurting or the wretched or the poor. And so we're told here to do it with cheerfulness, readiness of mind, gladly and sharing joyously. Then there are those that have the gift of faith, that extra measure of faith. Everyone has faith, a measure of faith. But this is that special and abundant overmeasure of faith. Faith to believe beyond a norm. Faith to believe perhaps for miracles. Faith to believe for the impossible. Faith to believe God for the working of miracles because he is the Almighty and the God who can do miracles. This is not faith in faith, but it's great and enormous faith in the living God who spoke and made promises and can do beyond the natural what needs to be done. And these people have that absolute persuasion and confidence in God for great things. There's also the gift of miracles, the working of miracles through the power of God only. 
It's the ability that they have been granted to beseech the Lord and have the Lord work through them beyond their own human ability for his purposes and his glory. There's the gifts of healing, providing of healing and cures through the power of God. Treatments or being able to make people whole. It would include healing, cures, remedies, treatments, even medicine included in this. Many doctors, surgeons, nurses very possibly have this gift and are operating in it. It can also be gifts of healing miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as was done in the book of Acts and in the New Testament in different places. There's also the gift of discerning of spirits, the ability to test the spirits and know what is true versus what is error, what is right versus what is evil. It's that inner witness of the Holy Spirit when you're in a place or in a presence of evil spirits or the ability to test what is from God, from the Spirit of God, if you are unclear. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 tells us about that. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this discerning of spirits goes along with this. It's that inner witness. It's the way to keep from being deceived by these false teachers and prophets is through the discerning of spirits. The ability to know the real thing and be able to spot the counterfeit right away to know it inside. It's a special endowment. I do believe in these last days, it is also a need for every Christian, especially today, to ask God to help us to test the spirits, to give us discernment so that we do not be deceived or fall for the lies. Every Christian has at least one or more of these, but all are to be used for the edification of the body and for God's glory so that he is revealed and he is honored. May we use our gifts, just like Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, to serve one another and to glorify God as he desires to use us. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can tune in again for more episodes of our Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.